Hello, everyone. Welcome back to 100% BS. How is it going, you guys? I'm amped up, amped up for this episode. This is one of those high energy ones where all of the juiciest connections were being made and it was just fucking awesome. So I'm going to keep this intro very short so we can dive right in. I am absolutely honored to be talking to my friend Ava Johanna. She is the founder and visionary behind the Academy of Breath, which is an internationally recognized breathwork and meditation school that basically focuses on making ancient embodiment practices into household tools across the globe. Ava is incredible, you guys. She's worked with Aloe Yoga, Mind Body Green, Yoga Journal. And her mission has really expanded into bridging that gap between modern neuroscience and mysticism so that breathwork and meditation are made accessible to everyone. I am just always in awe of this woman. She is a powerhouse, yet maintains a life and a lifestyle and an energy about her that is incredibly grounded. And she's really the epitome of someone who is just taking life by the horns and making it out to be exactly what she wants. So without further ado, I will let you listen to this wonderful conversation. This is one of the longest podcasts I've ever done. And for good reason, last thing to note is definitely check out and sign up for Academy of Breath. Her incredible program is closing in, I think, just just a couple days after this is going live enjoy this conversation. Let us know what you think. Tag us while you listen. And don't forget to rate the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you enjoyed it and check out all the links in the show notes and sign up for Academy of Breath in the middle of listening. Do it right now. Pause and do that and then come back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Ava Johanna. Yeah, well, when you're, like, used to, like, abusing your body, basically, it's, yeah. like, or, like, in the context of, like, partying or whatever, you're not, like, going into these things. I mean, I won't speak for you, but my assumption is when it's, like, in the context of, like, rave, whatever, or you're young and, like, still figuring things out that it's, like, more for... Like, let me just see if I can handle this versus nowadays. It's like, let me sit with the medicine. Let me see what downloads I get. Yeah, literally. I mean, even smoking pot after I got back from Kauai, um, I was like, I'm going to just set an intention anytime I touch any plants. And so even smoking pot, I'd sit down and be like, okay, this pot experience. Thank you. Thank you, marijuana. I love you. I appreciate you. So grateful for the earth for providing this beautiful plant medicine. I want to use this as an opportunity to feel more expanded, to feel good in my body. And it's interesting because having smoked weed for over a decade, like sometimes for years straight, every single day, I developed anxiety with it for a while and stopped smoking and then came back to it with this like really intentional approach and it made the experience so much better it's so interesting like all plants have energies and I think when we come into it super unconsciously we can develop anxiety it can that's like where the bad trips come from you know and so 
whether it's like mushrooms or even just like smoking a joint at the end of the night, it's now like doing it so intentionally has allowed for it to be a really beautiful experience and for there to actually like be a relationship with the plant. Yeah. That's what, that's exactly where I was before, like in college when I would like smoke weed or even do edibles, I would like trip out. Like I would get really paranoid. Like I was super anxious. And then, I mean, to me, it makes sense. It was like, I wasn't doing it intentionally. I also was those, I was like feeling anxious a lot of the time. And now after college, like in recent years, it's so much more enjoyable for me. And like, I, I don't really smoke anymore because I had a lung collapse. I don't know if I've told you this story. Freshman year of college, this, it was unrelated to smoking. We don't know actually what caused it to this day. We did all this genetic testing. Basically my literally October of my freshman year of college, I randomly woke up one day with my chest hurting and I was like, I was like, oh, whatever, it's fine. It's nothing. Like I basically ignored it, which it's like I learned afterwards that when you have chest pain, it's like one of the very few um, symptoms that they say like go straight to the ER. Mm. And I was like, oh, it's probably a cold. It's whatever. I walked around for two days with this chest pain. Then I happened to have an appointment for my ankle across the street. This was in Boston. So um, across the street from Boston Children's. And my mom came to meet me for the appointment Anyway, long story short, it turns out that my lung had collapsed and was like pressing on my heart, which oh my is God. why I would like walk to class and be like out of breath. Yeah. And I was like, it's probably fine. I kept going. And then I ended up being like rushed into the ER. They had to do this whole procedure on me. Um, but my suspicion is because I did you remember having a phase where like vape pens got really popular? This is like pre-jewel. This was like like marijuana vape pens. No, like just like I don't even know what it was. You would just buy this like this um like battery operated. There was like a battery piece, and then you'd buy like the juice thing, and they were different oh, yeah, flavors. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like uh, they didn't even get you high. Yeah. You were just smoking fucking chemicals. Yeah. It was so stupid. Yeah, didn't were you a part of that? Yes, freaking in my tiny house town <laughs> on Maple Avenue, this vape shop opened up, and me and my friends were like, "Let's go try them." Oh, Bella, and, I love you so much. Uh, yeah interesting times and yeah i like went and we were super into freaking vaping and trying to do like all the tricks and stuff and so my theory is that i messed up my lungs from that time dude of course the thing is other people didn't they didn't have collapsed lungs so i don't know part of it is bad for you oh it's so bad (laughs) horrific for you like really really bad and i well so they say the name for what happened to me was um spontaneous pneumothorax and apparently it's happens in tall skinny men and apparently almost never happens in women i was the first girl woman person (laughs) that the people at boston children's had ever seen with a collapsed lung so when i was there they had they had all like residents and like interns like coming and like (laughs) listening in on the call on like the when they were in like my emergency in my hospital room um so anyway sidebar moment to say I don't smoke anymore because I just feel like it's not a good match for my lungs which are now both surgically attached to my lung wall because yeah so let me just finish out the story while we're here (laughs) this has been an interesting introduction and then guys I'll let you know who the fuck I'm talking to um (laughs) this is actually a great story for what we're gonna talk about oh it is oh my god yes it's perfect okay so I'll finish it out so basically 
um, I had these weak spots in my lungs called blebs, B-L-E-B, very cute name for something that's not very cute, which is these weak spots in the lung. And one of them like broke, popped. And that's what then caused like the air from the inside of the lung to come out. And then like basically the air was gathering on the outside and that's what was pushing my lung against my heart, which Mm. is why it like was tiring to walk. I was like literally like... I don't even know what was happening to my heart, but it was being pressured. Yeah. Did it increase your heart rate or decrease yeah. it? Okay. Increase. Yeah. So like I would, like I had a four minute walk to class and I got there like panting and I was like, what the fuck am I so tired? Like that was a very short walk. And then I would lay down at night for sleep and feel like my heart was pounding faster. That was like a symptom of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So then that's basically what causes the lung to collapse. The blood pops and then like air starts to get on the outside so then basically after like my first recovery, which they just like sew or st- whatever you call it, they like fix the bleb. They like stitch it up. Oh, no, they don't. I'm messing it up. It's been so long. They put a tube into your like through your ribs and then that pulls the liquid slash air out of the chest cavity so that your lung can heal on its own. So normally this what happens is it heals on its own. The bleb closes up and then your lung like reinflates like normal. For me, of course, it didn't heal on its own. The tube actually fell out um, one time while I was going to the bathroom because I was constipated from all of the oh pain gosh. meds. Yeah. And I'll never forget this. I was sitting and I was like, they were like, don't push when you're going to the bathroom because like it's just not good for your healing but I was really constipated and really wanted to poo. And so I like pushed a little bit and I heard something fall to the ground and I looked over and my tube was on the floor next to me. Oh, Jesus. And I was like, I like put my hand next to my, like where the hole was. Cause I was like, am I about to like fucking like leak? Like what's going on here? And I was like, the nurse had left at that moment. And I was like on the toilet so you were in the hospital it was still. in the hospital okay. yeah yeah with this tube because basically it pulls the like liquid slash air out of the chest cavity into this like box thing and then it's supposed to let the lung heal on its own and yeah so i was in the hospital like on the toilet like i needed help to get to the toilet because i was just like in pain it was like hard to walk and so the nurse comes back in i was like my tube fell out and she was like what like it never happens so i was just like a box of rare things happening (laughs) so then they like rushed me into this room to fix it whatever so basically i ended up getting surgery to close the bleb and then to stick the lung to the chest cavity so that if another bleb were to pop that my lung doesn't fall onto my heart which was like the dangerous piece of the first time what happened Mm -hmm. So my lung didn't actually heal on its own. I ended up getting the second lung having the same procedure because of my lifestyle and traveling a lot. They were like, okay, we can't have it be that you're like in the middle of the ocean and your lung collapses and like you fucking die because you can't do anything. So now if the lung collapses, like it hurts a lot, but my heart isn't like at risk. And all we have to do is apparently like just puncture my chest and then like let the air out. Yeah. So that's where i'm at with that well i'm glad that you told me now because what if we're hanging out and your lung collapses and now i know what to do (laughs) then i have to do this whole story that took me five whole minutes (laughs) to tell you so yeah um that's why i don't smoke weed or smoke in general because i feel like it would be not good for my little blebs 
that are on my lungs. They might bleed. They might bleed. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the proper terminology for what happens Probably. when blebs pop. They bleed. Um, so anyway, hi everyone. <laughs> I love that we just start. I actually prefer to start a podcast this way where the conversation just starts out of nowhere yeah. and people are like in it. So um, today I'm talking to one of my very good friends named Ava. Johanna, 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 what's the origin of Austrian? Okay. 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 This makes sense now. Um, (laughs) I was just, I, it's like one of those names that people go two ways. It's like Rihanna is apparently it's Rihanna. Like, like the singer. Oh yeah. I think it's actually Rihanna. Rihanna. Did you think it was Rihanna? It's okay. I don't remember anymore. (laughs) Um, anyway, this is my friend Ava and, um, I'm really excited to talk to her today because we became friends through the internet, which is so wonderful. And, um, you've been such an incredible friend and I feel like you're the result of my own path and journey to like really just being more authentic and real and like the ripple effect that that has had on my life. And, um, you are so talented. You're a breathwork instructor, you're a business coach. I consider you an artist, a writer, all the things, so many more that we're going to get into. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk all about breath and its role in our lives and many other topics that I have in my head for this. But, um, introduce yourself, say hello, tell people what you're doing now, what you're up to. And then, um, I'd love to go back a little bit and talk about your journey to how you found breathwork specifically and kind of how it ties into your business these days. Awesome. Hello, everyone. (laughs) I had to look at the camera. Um, My name is Ava. I am the founder of the Academy of Breath. Um, I created an online breathwork and meditation certification program really at the cusp of 2020. Um, I had been like really praying to just be a little bit more purposeful in my life and with my work. And had the idea to create this certification after I had um, taken several certifications throughout the years and kind of felt like there were gaps in all of them and that there were pieces that I was still hungry for. Um, I'm a 1-3 projector. I don't know how much you know about human design. I feel like you were yeah. talking about it the yeah, other day. Yeah, I love actually. human design. Yeah, yeah so 1-3 is like trial by error and also like I need to be an expert. Like I need mm. to know if I'm interested in something, I need to know everything about it. And so, of course creating some sort of certification was like in the stars or whatever in the human design ethers. Yeah. Um, and created, created the Academy of breath because I had always been obsessed with breath work from the very beginning of me, like finding yoga and personal development. Breath work was like that one thing that really stood out to me because of how it made me feel, um, you know, actually full circle to the beginning of our conversation growing up, I had done a lot of drugs. I, um, I don't know how much you know about like my teenage years and like my early twenties, but was really trying to escape reality through, um, partying and through going to raves, Mm. taking ecstasy, taking psychedelics and, um, drinking a lot and just partying constantly. I think one year I went to like eight or nine raves, like big (laughs) music festivals, just like all my money went to partying. And, um, I experienced breath work and was like, holy shit, like I'm able to create this incredible embodied experience that I've only been able to replicate 
by putting something toxic inside of me. So I want to figure out what the hell is happening to my body. When did you first try it? Um, I was 23 years old, I think, 22 years old. So about seven or eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I remember just like blasting off to a different dimension and just having this crazy um, psychedelic visualization behind my eyes after through breathing. breath work through through breath work yeah, yeah. and um, just feeling like so just feeling that oneness you know feeling the 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 bliss state that we talk about in yoga and yeah. in personal development and from that point forward I was like I need to learn as much as possible about this epic tool that we have. And it also massively helped me with meditation too. Cause I had, you know, tried meditating and I remember being like, Oh, I don't know, maybe I'm just not the type of person that needs meditation. <laughs> and which is so funny. Um, and ha- was like an on again, off again meditator. And it wasn't until I was like, let me try breathing before I meditate and see how that impacts my experience. And it was the first time I was able to actually sit for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes, for 30 minutes. Um, And so I just saw that there was this really powerful practice that not a lot of people knew about and not a lot of yoga teachers um, specifically were including in their classes because at the time I was teaching yoga and just kind of decided like, this is going to be my thing. This is how I'm going to stand out from other people. This Mm. is how I'm going to be able to support people. And then eventually in 2020 was when I was like, all right, I'm going to create a certification around breathwork and meditation because there's not really anything like this on the market. Yeah. So you were practicing, you tried it. Was it during like a yoga class or something or how, like who taught it to you? Yeah. So I, I mean the very first yoga class that I ever went to, actually it's funny. I took yoga as an elective in at city <laughs> college in San Diego. And I would literally like, I, cause I was very bendy when I was younger. I was a, I, I don't know if you know my whole cheer story. Uh, cheer. Cheer. Oh, cheer. Cheer. Cheerleading. Yeah, my cheerleading story. But um, I was the mascot my freshman year of oh high school. God, it was, I love that. It was, no. <laughs> You're like, I didn't love it. Trauma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, even though I was the mascot, I still partook in like all of the other stuff. I was just really bad at all of it. That's why they put me in a lightning bolt conversation or not con- a lightning bolt uh, outfit. And, um, yeah, if anyone wants to Google big daddy bolt from Agora high school, that was me. (laughs) I'm going to look that up later. Oh yeah. I was telling my friend about my, my cheer story and how I was so bad at it that they just put me in the mascot uniform for our competitions because I went to a really competitive cheer school. Um, it was just a public school, but we won nationals every year. Yeah. And so the coaches were like super competitive and serious about it. And I just wasn't good. I was like tall, lanky, little too tall to fly, very uncoordinated. So I couldn't <laughs> hold people up. And they um, decided to make me the mascot, which is a lightning bolt. And I was telling my friend about it just a couple months ago. And I was like, let me see if I can look up a picture of what this lightning bolt mascot looks like. Are you in like a lightning bolt shaped outfit? Okay, yes. So in a lightning bolt shape, I wish we were on like Joe Rogan right now. So we could like pop it up right behind. My phone is being used for video. We're good. Yeah, we'll look it up later. I'll stitch it into the video. Yeah, stitch it into the video. Um, So anyways, so I look it up and I just type in like Agora High School Chargers mascot. And you know how Google has the smart searches where it'll give you like information about like the actor or whatever and like their full. and, And so... It pops up a picture of the lightning bolt, which has these big creepy eyes and there's PVC pipes running through it to keep like the shape of the lightning bolt. 
and it says Big Daddy Bolt. And I was like, oh, God. So not only was I the mascot, but the mascot's name, official name was Big Daddy Bolt. Wow. So I found that out a couple of months ago. Um, but I, um, yeah, there were PVC pipes in it. So my friend, one of my best friends, Haley, she was on the cheer team with me. And we would have to lie it face down on the ground so I could crawl inside of it and like kind of maneuver around the PVC pipes and then stick my arms out the sides <laughs> of it. And they would have to like lift me up and put my Mickey Mouse gloves on. It was hor- horrific. It was so bad. I had s- so many people make fun of me because oh. our cheer team practiced at the same time as the um, as the basketball team the varsity basketball team so like all of the basketball boys would be in the gym at the same time that we were cheering and I was just like okay cool if if high school isn't hard enough make me big daddy bolts so anyways this is my long-winded say of say a way of saying I was very flexible and in my elective yoga class I would just sit in the back in like full splits just like on my phone like fuck this I don't like this yeah um and it wasn't until I was working a really stressful corporate job at this like startup company mm-hmm. that um, my girlfriend was like, let's go take a Bikram, like a hot yoga class and went to hot yoga. Um, they do breath of fire, Kapalabhati at the end of um, Bikram classes. And so I had done breath work then, um, but was actually really like aggravated by it. It was really hard. The muscle movements that were that you had to make were kind of confusing for me because it kind of felt like you're like tapping your head and rubbing your belly at the same time that's not the actual movement but that's what it felt like yeah um so at first when I practiced breath work it brought up a lot of aggravation for me when I took an actual like breath work workshop which Mm. was during my yoga teacher training probably about a year and a half later that's when I had that like crazy expansive um experience inside Mm -hmm. the class where I felt like I had like left my body and merged with something bigger than me. Wow. And what did that, like, what was going on in your body that made you feel that way? Or like, what, what were you starting? Like, I guess just recounting that experience, what did it feel like? What was happening? Like, what, what were you doing to get to that state? Mm, Like the technique itself or? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that specific class was a, um, it was Wim Hof. And so it's okay. forceful inhales, forceful exhales in and out of the mouth. Um, and when you're doing that, really what's happening is a mild hyperventilation. And so that's going to create a whole slew of sensations throughout your body. And when you end up finishing and just returning back to your natural breath, you've created this natural high, this natural arousal throughout your system. So, um, you have these feelings of elation. You have these feelings of like being super open. It's kind of like a runner's high almost when you're at the end of a run and you're just feeling like so energized and alive. Um, that's very similar to the feelings that you can get from doing a short breathwork class. Um, did your body like tingle or anything like yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and there's like other techniques like there's two part breath or like transformational yeah. breath where you'll get like tetany which is like the lobster claws. Yes. I feel like it's like almost like a parrot beak sometimes where you can feel like your mouth yes. is like squishing. That have okay, I experienced those like um side effects or you call them. Yeah. When I did holotropic mm-hmm. two part breath in Sedona at Jenny okay. Edition's retreat and I had done holotropic via like Zoom before a bunch of times with her, but in person, it was way more powerful because it was with 12 other women doing all the same time laying down. And I like had, that was 
basically I, I look back on it like it was a psychedelic experience of some of some kind. I don't know if that's the right word, but basically to say like I felt like I was having interesting visuals, like just by having my eyes closed and like my whole body was like floating, tingling. I had like the lobster claw hand mm-hmm. and like literally couldn't undo it. My lips were feeling really, really weird the yeah. whole time. Maybe it's the beak thing. Yeah. I'm, I've, I was feeling like my lips were like curling in and I couldn't yeah. stop curling them. And yeah. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, but it was crazy to realize like what you're saying, you can create these feelings of that you would normally get from a drug or from putting something in your body, something from the outside world into your body, but you create it just by yourself, which is insanely profound. Like that's so crazy for people to think that all these things you've been searching for via some other resource, external thing, like drug, food, drink, whatever people like you create those yourself through the practice of breath work and then combine breath work with meditation or something. And it's like insane. And it sounds like that's what you experienced for the first time. You were like, Oh my God, I did this by myself. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you think about why someone would take a drug or why someone would put some substance inside of their body, usually it's sometimes to escape Mm. Um, and escape to feel better, right? Feel more connected, feel more love, feel like you're part of something. And so if we're able to create that feeling on our own, like think about how healing that is to be able to bring yourself to that point of connection, to fill your body with love, to feel that lack of separation between you and something else, whether that something else be something that you desire, God, Mm. you know, another person to be able to generate that feeling inside of yourself is so incredibly profound because so much of our world and how we go about life is all about getting somewhere and creating this almost arrival fallacy where it's like, once I get there, then I'll be happy. Once I achieve this, then I'll feel successful. Once this happens, then this happens. And what breathwork and meditation does is say, no, you actually can experience that right here and right now. We don't need to keep you separate anymore. Like you are capable of experiencing that right now. And so I think that that's been one of the most powerful aspects of my practice and what I love seeing other people through my like my students or my clients experience is that they don't have to keep everything at an arm's length anymore like you actually can experience it right now and just the experience of bringing it into your present moment your present state can create such a different lived experience for you and how you feel how you think how you act Mm -hmm. and from that space that really is going to influence what is created in the future yeah. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like to think that you have the tools already built in to your body to like essentially what we've been all taught even to like run away from or to seek. And it's like, when I do this, I'm going to have that. Or like it's completely reverse engineering our approach to life and like our, in like, um, like the benefits that we're seeking and how we think we're going to get a certain feeling, it's completely reversing that and mm-hmm. saying like, what if you start 
now with having this feeling like then what kind of life are you going to lead? And it's like, of course, that ties naturally into so many concepts of manifestation is Mm -hmm. so much of it is like creating the environment to become a match for your goal, right? Instead of like, oh, once I make this much money, then I will feel like this. Or once this happens, then I can like have that hard conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I have found when you reverse it and start to say, what pieces of my desires can I actually already have now? Because in the end, it's a feeling behind what we're seeking, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I remember one of the very first books that I read um, in like the personal and self-help space was called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakhni. Lakhni, I think it's his, um, he's the founder of A-Fest in Mind Valley. You probably have seen his Instagram mm-hmm. ads. Um, and he, in his book, wrote the difference between ends goals and means goals. And that's something that stuck with me forever, how... Mm means goals, they're, they're means to an end. Right. so the means goal is, is like, I want to make a million dollars. The end goal is, well, what does that million dollars really mean to you? Like, what is it that it's, it's probably safety, right? A feeling of feeling safe or having options and freedom or being able to take care of the people in your life. And that's like really what you are reaching for. Yeah. And there's a, a ton of different ways for you to be able to create that besides just the million dollars. And so, like you said, it's like, it's not once I get there, then I will feel this. It's once I feel this, then I will get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's such a powerful shift. And like, I think it's like if someone, I always try to think of the worst case scenario and how we can apply this because I feel like that's the test is like sometimes like I just get caught in my head where I'm like, okay, I've had a certain you know, experience and have found this to work, but how can we apply this to, and like almost test out its effectiveness in like a scenario where someone is like really struggling, right? Like if you, let's say whether it's like a client, somebody you're working with, someone you've come across and they're like really having a hard time. Like they, let's say relationship is not working out. The career they're in is not fulfilling, they're turning to a lot of outside things, outside experiences to feel a certain way to escape. Where do they start? Let's say with breathwork in particular, mm-hmm. especially knowing that they're going to meet themselves yeah. truly in that. Like, yeah. Um, you know, that's a great question. I think, you know, having grown up incredibly poor, my mom, my sister and I were evicted from our house when I was 16 years old. And so we didn't have a roof over our head for the better half of a year. My mom would go to the church or the the local food bank to pick up groceries for us. Mm -hmm. And her car was repossessed. You know, I can definitely resonate with being in really fucked up and shitty situations. Um, and so it can be really challenging when you're in those darker spaces to, seek something that's going to be good for you because those tools that are going to be good for you are going to require you to do something different. They're going to require you to get up and act. And a lot of times when you're in those harder points, whether it be in a depression or being like frozen from anxiety, that like that dorsal state, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Those, these practices are going to be what actually support you in shifting your state. So breath work is such a important tool because 
we can use that as a way to shift your emotional state. So mm-hmm. for somebody, you know, as an example, over the past, you know, basically almost a year, you know, you lived with me for a week <laughs> in Austin. Um, last year was really challenging for me. I was really pushed to my limit as far as relationships go, um, money, mm. my worth around my work and my purpose. And I, had I not had the tools of breath work, I don't even know how low I would have gotten because when I started feeling hopeless, when I started moving into scarcity or lack or feeling a lot of fear or feeling really alone and unseen and unsure of what was going to come next. Like I was in this holding period for months and months and months, not knowing what was going to happen in any area of my life. And the practice that I would come back to every single day was some sort of arousing breathwork practice. Um, whether it was Kapalabhati, which is breath of fire, or it's a skull cleansing breath, if we mm. translate it from um, so from Sanskrit, or Bastrika, which is bellows breath, which is a really arousing practice. It's similar to um, to Wim Hof, except older. Wim Hof found its uh, inspiration mm-hmm. from Bastrika. Um, or tumo, or um, the two-part breath, all of these breathwork practices that can create this arousal of our system are, again, going to bring you in that more expanded, into that more expanded state. So in that state, my ego would cease to exist so that I could remember who I really am on like a divine level. And that gave me so much solace and just felt so much love and support because I was meeting this God-like part of myself and being reminded that I'm okay, that I'm safe, Mm -hmm. and that whatever was happening in my physical realm was temporary and that I was capable of getting through it. And so for anybody that is in that darker space that and has having a hard time, you know, the breath is such a powerful tool because it's medicine, right? It's it's working with our nervous system. It's working with different parts of our brain. It's working with our hormones. And all of those pieces have such a profound effect on how we feel, how we act, our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being, our emotional well-being. And so whether you are super, super stressed out and are unsure of how to like manage your overwhelm and feeling burnt out or you are in a depression or experiencing anxiety or PTSD or some sort of trauma, there is a breathwork practice for you. And it's so incredibly empowering to know that there's this inherent tool that's inside of each and every one of us that we're doing unconsciously for the most part every single day. But when we take conscious control of it, we can absolutely like radically change our lives. Yeah. And what is happening with, so I know loosely about vaguely about the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I think my understanding is when you're doing these different practices, you're kind of like playing with the relationship between those two things. Yeah. So what's, let's say maybe with like your like intro breath practice what's happening or even just in breath work overall like how are we tapping into those systems in our bodies that's like basically showing us actually something is literally changing in you and that's what's cultivating this capacity for like 
being more regulated, for being more grounded, calm, for remembering who you are, for like even those higher feelings of feeling divine, feeling like you have, you know, you're, you're feeling your place in the universe. Like these things that feel more, um, just like heady and like, Oh, that sounds like woo woo, but it's like what's actually happening in your body. That is why you feel that way. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason why I love breath work so much is that a lot of these like esoteric heady, let's say woo woo concepts, you can actually start to feel in your body Mm -hmm. because breath work is an embodiment tool. So there's a couple different things that are going on when we're breathing. First and foremost, like you mentioned, the parasympathetic and the, and the sympathetic nervous system. So the breath itself is directly connected to our autonomic nervous system, which is our automatic nervous system. So that is parasympathetic and sympathetic. Over the time, hundreds of thousands of years, human beings have developed this autonomic nervous system, um, or excuse me, the fight or flight or the rest and digest to keep us alive and safe. When we were um, cave people, we needed it to be able to turn on and either fight, fly, or freeze. So put up our dukes and fight whatever was in front of us, run the fuck away because that thing, if we got into a fight with it, was definitely going to kill us or freeze and play dead so that whatever was happening could um, just pass by quickly and then our system would come back online. Um, It worked back then because we weren't as developed. Our world wasn't as developed as it is now. So we could run as quickly as we could back to our cave. And then within that like 15 minute period or whatever, we would calm down. Our parasympathetic nervous system would turn back on and um, our bodies would go back into homeostasis and all of our organs and our hormones would do exactly as they were meant to Mm -hmm. for us to get back to being in balance. Um, And that's everything from our immune system, our fertility, um, you know, the release of cortisol and adrenaline, the release of dopamine and serotonin, um, our heart rate, our digestion. So every single automatic system in our body is impacted in one way or another from this autonomic nervous system, which is both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Where the breath comes in, the breath is connected to our vagus nerve and it's also our lungs have on the bottom side and then on the top side different nerve endings on the top side of our lungs at the top in our chest we have nerve endings that connect to our sympathetic nervous system so the fight or flight by our diaphragm at the bottom of our lungs we have nerve endings that connect to our parasympathetic and so what happens is when we're breathing correctly into the belly, rib cage, and chest. So using the full capacity of the lungs, we're activating our parasympathetic nervous system, which is essentially communicating to our, our nervous system, to our brains, we're safe here, we're good. Mm. If we are only breathing into the upper half of our lungs, which most of us are because we live in a hyperactive society where everything is triggering us when, and a perceived threat, um, then we're activating the sympathetic and creating an arousal in our system. Over time, what happens is chronic inflammation because cortisol and adrenaline essentially are they're acidic mm. um, hormones. And so it's like dumping a vat of acid all over our body over and over and over again, which creates disease, right? It creates That's chronic inflammation in the in body. in like the fight flight mode yeah. constantly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have become accustomed to being in fight or flight because of all of these little stress triggers that happen throughout the day, we don't even know that we're stressed out. Right. It's just become the, it's become the baseline yeah. for 
our Western world and for most of our world today. Um, Because everything from a shitty email to receiving a bill in the mail that you didn't expect to opening up your bank account and seeing that there's not as much money there or Mm. having a shitty conversation with your in-laws, whatever it might be. um, Or even like the news and media is arguably wanting to make you afraid all the time oh yeah yes yes and we can and we can go into that too because what what happens again on a physical level is like the immune system turns off we stop releasing um the sex hormones responsible for fertility because if you're in danger and running away why the fuck would you have a baby Mm -hmm. you don't need to Mm -hmm. or um like your digestion turns off because you don't need to go to the bathroom when you're about to fight you gotta like hold that in yeah um and so and your body releases all of this excess energy to help you get out of this out of whatever the threading the threat threatening situation like threatful no that's not that's not right um the threatening situation and so um when we're working with the breath consciously what we're able to do is create that safety in the body so that we move out of that fight or flight state that so many of us are in um and coming back to this idea of like the media when we're in that fight or flight state our frontal lobe actually ends up turning off completely, which our frontal lobe is where analytical thinking, decision-making, like linear thinking, rational thought live. Mm. And so when you are in a chronic state of stress and your frontal lobe completely turns off, you're actually only living by emotion and by pattern because your amygdala is the only thing turned on. And so it's really fascinating because the amygdala responds and and, um, interacts with the entire body based off of fear and threat. Mm. And so we're not thinking about how to rationally approach something. We're thinking about how to survive whatever is in front of us. And so it's really interesting to think about how over these past few years, not only have we become more stressed out, which has made our immune systems weaker, it's made us more reactive instead of responsive, um, but it's also inhibited our ability to rationally think because so many of us now are operating just based out of our reptilian brain. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's literally like what is happening on a like biological level in your body and in people's bodies, which I mean, to me that really gives the explanation for a lot of the nonsense that we are seeing. Like, especially let's say in the context of the past two years, like, I just had this whole conversation, the last episode with Mark Groves, whole conversation about like, why are people unable to process new information that challenges their worldview? And it's like, people literally do not have the capacity in their body. Like they're literally not able to process and think logically and like put their thoughts in front of them as a separate entity from who they think they are in order to process something because like you're saying if you're in that stress mode that fear mode you're consuming constantly you're not breathing correctly like of course you're not able to handle any of the stress that life throws at you whether that's like the hard conversation or figuring out what you do in your career or sitting in traffic if someone cuts you off you're gonna freak out like your body's literally just not ready to handle it Mm -hmm. and it's like how incredible is it to then say actually instead of 
shaming that. It's that's just how your body works. Your body's actually doing its job. Yeah. Like there's this um there's some holistic doctors that I love. They always say how like nothing is actually like a mistake in your body. Like even sickness, illness is like yes, we as a society give it a personality of being bad. Yes, because it's like hurting like damaging our life. However, it's actually the body doing what it knows how to do. Mm-hmm. Like when you feel ill or when you're stressed out, your body's going to show symptoms to like heal something to purge it, right? Like you're coughing because your body wants to get something out. Like you have sniffles because of the same concept, right? So it's like knowing that we're like, okay, my body actually is this incredible, incredibly capable piece of machinery that now I can take control of and say through breath, I can kind of nourish this system and get myself into a place where I'm more regulated. And then like, I wonder where life will take me, how I will perceive life because I'm so much more regulated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our bodies are so intelligent. And for me, when I started breathing consciously and using these techniques regularly, I was able to zoom out of that tunnel vision that so many of us have, even if we don't like consciously know it. Like I remember when I was working in that startup job, I had migraines every other week for sometimes 72 hours where I had to call out of work and um, was miserable. And I went to the doctor and she asked me like how my stress was. And I told her I wasn't stressed out at all. (laughs) Meanwhile, I was working like 10 to 12 hour days Um, hated my job. I was traveling for like 24, 48 hours across the country, um, was in a terrible relationship and I didn't know that I was stressed out. I literally just thought that that was life. Like you'd normalized basically whatever state you were in. Like everyone's like this. This is just how I am. Yeah. I was like, okay, everyone hates their job. Everyone just like Monday through Friday is miserable. And then on the weekends you drink and then that's life. Like you're not supposed to like your job. And, um, yeah, I didn't know that I was stressed out and I really didn't put the pieces together actually until I quit that job. And, um, we went to Costa Costa Rica and and South America for three months and my migraines completely went away almost instantaneously. Wow. Um, and so that was a big wake up call for me that so many people are stressed out and don't even know it. Um, because once I was able to, bring my breath in. And at that point when we had went to South America, I had already um, experienced the breath regularly through yoga and my yoga teacher training. And um, it was like opening up this big, like taking this like wide lens panoramic perspective of life after being so like zoomed in on just surviving day to day, just getting through each day. And so the breath has been the greatest tool for me. And I like am such an evangelist when it comes to sharing it. And because it can change your life in so many different ways that you probably don't even consciously know, like maybe might invite in a little changing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really beautiful because I mean, for you, especially in your, in your story, it's like the just meeting, like you basically met your real self. You were like, oh, I'm have this body and it breathes and it does these things. And when I do this, I feel better. Right. And did that then like from there, you're kind of, you said you left your startup job. Um, and then when did you start to kind of like 
get the idea of wanting to work for yourself, start your own business? Like where did that journey kind of fold into the breathwork journey? Yeah. So I ended up getting into yoga when I was working at the startup and I think just like being in my body more, um, I started hearing that little voice inside my head, which I will later call my intuition. At the time, I had no idea what it was, but I remember, again, being miserable at this job. I hated it and just so stressed out. And um, my boyfriend at the time, now now husband, um, we had met at work at the San Diego Reader. I was um, the director of marketing there. I was like 22 years old, embellished the fuck out of my resume and somehow ended up as the director <laughs> of marketing. Yeah. Um, always have been a hustler. Um, and he was on the sales team and we ended up, um, I got headhunted for the startup company um, and moved over there and worked there for like eight months. And, and I was just so miserable And I remember, um, we had decided like at the end of the year, we're going to go to South America. We'll live in South America for six months and backpack. And, um, I was offered a promotion. And at the same time, my old boss from the reader reached out to me and was like, Hey, we have your position opening back up. Like we'd love for you to come back. And, um, for the first time I had heard and heard my intuition really, which was, Ava, there's never going to be a bound of money on paper that's going to make you happy because mm. my the startup was like, we'll give you another extra five thousand uh, dollar raise to your salary. We'll give you like a fifteen thousand dollar sign or stay bonus mm. for you to stay here. Um, and the money was like super attractive to me at the time. Like, I don't have a college degree. I literally just like ended up in marketing and. Um, had friends that were in their master's program and I was making like 70 K and I was like, this is fucking awesome. I've never made this much money in my life. Um, and had that thought come up of like, there's never going to be amount of money on paper. That's ever going to make me feel good and feel happy. So I better start searching for something else. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to go back to the reader and worked there for like eight months. Um, before we went to South America. And during that time I did my yoga teacher training and, um, Went at the reader, I was working with a lot of local companies. It was like hot air balloon companies, which was the coolest one out of all of them. Um, most of them were like car audio shops or dentist office. And we were like building websites for them and mm-hmm. managing their social media and doing their emails. And it was just like so fucking boring to me. But I was learning all of these skills. And mm-hmm. at the time, I was also getting really into yoga and mindfulness and spirituality And so I had this like back office and I would sit in the office during the day and just start to like build out my Instagram page. And then eventually brands started reaching out and saying, Hey, like, we'd love to send you these yoga pants or like (laughs) this water bottle or this CBD spray. And I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. It's working. (laughs) Um, and so at the beginning it was like pretty selfish. I was just like, Mm. Oh cool. I can get some like free shit. Let's see if I can get some like sponsored stays while we're traveling and um so you working remote for this company or no i was working you um, you took time off no 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 no. i was just in the office doing my own thing (laughs) oh wait but then when you did your traveling oh oh um i quit oh yeah so okay before you yeah so travel before i quit to travel i started building it out i um created my blog with kicking asana and um started writing about yoga i wrote about my yoga teacher training experience and um spent about 
six months building out my website and building out my Instagram page so that by the time I ended up officially leaving the reader, I had picked up a couple like um, freelance clients and managed their social media. I was doing like a couple like small sponsored things for um, Instagram. And at that point was like, all right, when I come back, I'm never going to be working in an office again. I'm never going to work for someone else again. And, um, I didn't have to, which was really cool. I had built up enough of a freelance client database of like managing other people's social media and website and doing graphic design for them that I didn't have to go back and get a job and was kind of able to work at home and continue to build out my, I built out like a marketing course for yoga teachers. I started doing like some coaching on the side and that was kind of, I think that was in 2017. Mm, Um, And so in 2017, that's when I started working for myself full time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I love, I feel like most people, like when you have a side hustle during a full-time job, you're just like, Nope, I'm just doing it like in my off moments mm-hmm. in the corner. Like, oh yeah, I know it well. I would, um, I had dual monitors and on one monitor I'd play Beyonce's Lemonade, like the whole visual album. Yeah. And, um, on the other screen I would have like my blog up and just be like <laughs> writing shit. And then someone would walk by and I'd like move it over. To yeah. I'd keep Beyonce uh, up the entire w. time. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Wow. Okay. So then as you kind of started to work for yourself, what was the sort of trial and error process of figuring out like what you wanted to do as like an entrepreneur, as a coach, like, and you didn't, the Academy of Breath you created in end of 2019, was it? 2020, beginning of 2020. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So how often were you like learning more about breathwork during this whole time or was just a personal practice? Like when did you get the idea to use breathwork as like kind of tying it together with your career and like as a business owner? Yeah, I was using it in my personal practice the entire time. Um, once I got back from South America, so we thought we were going to do six months, ended up doing three months. I missed my dog so much, you know, Penny, she's yes. irresistible. Um, and so once we got back, um, I enrolled in a breathwork training down in San Diego and it was absolutely phenomenal. It was, um, led by one of my mentors and like the first yogi that I really like experienced where I was like, holy shit, this teacher is incredible. Her name is Nikki Ray Bose. She owns, um, reunify yoga in ocean beach, San Diego. If anyone's in San Diego, go to her classes. Although I think she's about to pop because she's having (laughs) her first baby. Um, And so I did a a personal teacher training with her through breathwork and really loved that. And um, Nikki's so incredible. She studied in India and um, lived in India for a while. And that's really where she learned breathwork and pranayama um, and is very, very spiritual. And so when we were doing the, our teacher training, I was like, so yes, I know that this is like expanding my energy in this way, but like what's actually happening? what's happening in the brain and she's like girl yogis have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years 
you don't have to question it. And I was like, but I want to. And so that's really when I started doing my own research and like actually going into scientific databases and looking at a lot of um, different research studies specific to each breathwork practice that she had taught me and just obtaining as much data as possible that about each of these breathwork practices and what was actually happening on a physiological level. Um, Shortly after I did the breathwork training, I enrolled in a meditation teacher training and the meditation teacher training was phenomenal as well, but it was very science driven. Mm. And so it was interesting to have this polarity, right? Of like one training was very spiritual. The other training was very like modern, I would say, Mm -hmm. in being just very accessible to a scientific, like very data driven um, person. And so when we were doing the meditation, I was like, wow, I'm having all of these spiritual experiences, but this training is really only speaking to the science. Wow. And so I saw that there were different trainings out there that offered one or the other and um, really thought that there was this missing piece of being able to combine the two. Um, and so that was really where the inspiration for the Academy of Breath came from. But yeah, during that time, I was in my own personal practice. I was taking teacher trainings. I was teaching yoga um, in San Diego and then because of my podcast actually and getting married, um, we ended up moving up to LA for about six months. And when I was in LA for those six months, I taught meditation in Manhattan beach and breathwork in Manhattan beach. I taught for aloe and bandier. Mm. And so I was driving all around LA teaching breathwork and meditation and yoga. I, I created my own fitness concept. Um, what was it? it's called tone to transform. It was really cool. It was, it was a mix of sculpt yoga, breathwork and meditation. Wow. Um, and super fun. Um, but to go back to your original question around this like trial by fire and just like figuring out what I wanted to do along the way, I've always been someone who will boldly like step into the unknown and just fucking do it Mm. just to see, you know, because I think, again, going back to this idea, not that I like to stick to labels or one like school of thought too much, but this idea of being a one, three projector is that like I learn best through experience. Totally. And so for me, I've always just kind of dove head first into experiencing different things to see if I like it. So that really has led for me to have courage to experience something fully, to go all in on something fully, to even potentially succeed at it. And then like climb to that top of the mountain and be like, Hmm, this isn't my mountain. Let me see what else I want to do. Where Mm -hmm. else I want to go. What did I like about this? What didn't I like about this? Um, which has meant that I've pivoted quite a bit and have started over quite a bit, but, It's also allowed for me every single time to have more and more information on what I do like and what I don't like. And so I think that that's a part of what has allowed for the Academy of Breath to be so successful is that I've started and failed and started and succeeded Mm. at least a dozen times before I got to this space so that I knew going into it exactly how I wanted to set it up so that I would be fully devoted to it and that I could create something that I was like madly in love with and from my own energy that really calls forward that energy within my students and my clients yeah yeah failing is really important like I feel that we're so afraid of it because 
Just, I mean, I think just on a personal level, it just doesn't always feel that great when you're in the failure, right? You're like, well, I fucked up. I'm not good, whatever. But it's so important to fail more because that's always where you're going to learn the most. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's like really true. And we forget because we, especially now, like you want everything to look like you're doing it successfully, right? Like, you know, if you have any presence, even if you don't have a presence online, just when you're with people and you're catching up and you went to dinner and they're like, how are you doing? You want it to sound like, yeah, everything's working out perfectly all the time. And it's like, actually the failure and the trial and the error piece is where everything gets stronger and better for when you do end up succeeding. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, the only one of the only reasons that they haven't like, let's say that they aren't getting it is because they are scared of failing again, or like they get caught up in the failure as the only thing. And Mm -hmm. it's like, sometimes you just have to try again and like, eventually through enough trial and error i feel like it doesn't even take too much in the end when you're like really driven for it but that's where all the lessons come and that's when then you make things more bulletproof right like Mm -hmm. now you have a program that it's incredible it sells out i mean i don't know what your metric of selling out is but like in in what the sense of the word is it like sells out every time like it's tried and true it's like evergreen it like keep it like it keeps getting better and that's because you tried and failed, tried and failed, and tried and succeeded. And then after trying to fail, like you kept going, right? Yeah. That's like the whole process of it. Yeah. I mean, even in each cohort of the Academy of Breath, I learn something new every time so that we can add or adjust for the next round to be even better. I think that, you know, when it comes to this idea of failing, it often stems from either like the judgment mm-hmm. of what other people will think and like to take that even further and kind of wrap into the other pieces, like the fear of not surviving. Right. And if Mm. we go back to like our primal instincts, it is that fear and that need that like human need, that primal need to survive. And if we're judged, if we're cast out, our primal brains are going to associate that with like being kicked out of the tribe. And when we were again, cave people, hunter gatherers, Um, and much further, even in history than that, that meant that we wouldn't survive and that we would die. And so on a very primal level, failure is synonymous with death, Mm. even though we wouldn't necessarily say like, oh, if I fail, I'm going to die. Um, but in some cases, yeah. And so that's why like nervous system regulation is so powerful because in those moments of recognizing that there's some sort of activation or trigger or physical representation of fear, in our bodies, we can use some sort of practice, breath work, to regulate our nervous systems and create that safety. Safety is like the foundation of growth because if we don't feel mm. safe in our body, then we're not going to be forthcoming with our growth. We're not going to put ourselves out there in a way that is going to allow for us to expand or to grow. Um, I mean, if we don't feel safe in our body, we're literally unable to regenerate. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are not able to heal and to grow in the way, like on a physical level. And so that also happens on an emotional level and on a mental level too. Um, so the nervous system regulation is like 
the key that I don't think enough people are talking about, although I am starting to see it more, Mm -hmm. um, to being able to, one, if you're an entrepreneur, really be able to put yourself out there and not experience as much fear. Um, If you are just a human being wanting to do things in life, Mm -hmm. being able to regulate your nervous system, like we were talking about earlier, like to have hard conversations and be able to receive new information requires a regulated nervous system. And so it really is like that key to being the best possible version of yourself, experiencing the fullest life Mm. because it offers you so much more than that survival, unsafe, deregulated um, nervous system does. Yeah. Do you feel like people though misinterpret sometimes the idea of making yourself feel safe to a point where we have almost like too many safe spaces that are actually just like, like you're creating safety via the idea that you don't ever have to face or handle hardship instead of safety, meaning make your body feel regulated which actually can happen through putting your body like doing work mm-hmm. for your body whether it's mm-hmm. a workout breath work whatever like actually facing a hardship and then handling that hardship in a successful way to create safety versus the version of safety that's like I like I never encounter anything that like challenges me. Yes, woke <laughs> safety. Like I I yeah. I feel like actually woke safety is a huge problem oh, because yeah. we are we're it's like we're sheltering ourselves. It's funny because woke safety I think is actually resulting more in like making your body feel unsafe because you are make you're setting up a system where if someone is saying something that you don't like that it's okay for you to be freaking out about it all the time. Mm -hmm. And that the only way for you to be safe is when everyone's catering to your experience, Mm -hmm. which is not how life works. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I forgot exactly. You probably know it better than me. It's like the strong men make hard societies. Yeah. It's like hard times make strong men, strong men make good times, good times make Weak, weak men. men, weak men make hard times. Yeah. And then it just keeps. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's what I, th- when, when we talk about that's that level of safety where we're actually just softening the edges of all of reality for people to feel more comfortable and for their tolerance to not be stretched at all. Um, I think that that is a great, um, saying or phrase Mm. for like that weak creating creating weak human beings Mm -hmm. um which is unfortunate because when i use the term safety i i I mean it from what you said like having a creating safety in your body so that you actually can be stronger and so that you actually can have hard conversations so that you can actually push yourself outside of your comfort zone um one of the things that i teach inside of my advanced practitioner training inside of the academy of breath is how to work with the window of tolerance with yourself Mm. and with your clients and so we all have this window of tolerance which is essentially if we look at our nervous systems as being elastic 
check the window of tolerance is like how big your window is before your nervous system just collapses in on itself mm-hmm. and we experience burnout or um, move into that fight or flight state or we're like gonna, going to like retreat back into our into our hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can use the breath to actually create more elasticity mm-hmm. in your uh, in your nervous system so that you can actually hold more stress. And it's really yeah. cool because like you said, it's like we actually put ourselves in these stressful situations consciously so that we become the pilot of our stress instead of the passenger of our stress. And what that does is allow for you to actually be more conscious in the times where you are experiencing stress outside of like the container that you've created and can start to experience like, oh, okay, my heart is starting to race a little bit more or I'm starting to just feel like a little bit tighter Mm -hmm. or I can feel my mind starting to go to this place or I can feel myself getting defensive or my walls coming up ah, this is my stress response. Okay. How do I want to respond to myself in this stress response? So it's Mm. this really cool practice where you can create an arousal in your system using specific breathwork practices. And I don't recommend this if you are in a fight or flight response. It's like when you're feeling good, like us right now, we can do this. And it would be a powerful practice in expanding our window of tolerance. If I'm working with somebody who is in a heightened state already is experiencing PTSD Mm. or has experienced recent trauma, I'm not going to put them into this aroused state. We want to create that safety in their body. But if you're working with somebody or you're on your own and you're like, you know what? I just want to like be a better communicator. And I, I want to have these hard conversations and, um, I want to be able to put myself out there. Like I want to build my business and I, I I really want to be able to put myself out there or like, if I go to this event, I want to not feel scared and talking to people, you know? And so it's like, we can use this arousing breath practice to bring on the sensations of stress in your body because you are creating an arousal Mm. in your body, help you get familiar with it so that you've created this safe container for yourself to experience the arousal of stress so that it becomes more familiar and less foreign So that when you are, you know, going to this networking event or going to an event on your own and start to feel those those feelings, you actually know that you're okay and Mm. that you are bigger than the stress itself and that you can manage it and handle it because you've already practiced, so to speak, in this container that you've created on your own. So it's not actually as intense and as overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like the let's say lack of safety that you might feel in your body let's say in context of if before your 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 thinking is that a safe space woke safety is like everybody else needs to cater to you you're going to understand oh this feeling in my body is something happening just in me and mm-hmm. it's under my control to figure out how how I react to this situation. Of course, there are extremes if people are being legitimately like abusive, shameful, condescending, whatever it is, like those things of course need to be addressed. However, still it is very valuable for you to have control over the, the safety that your body internally feels so that external factors are not 
the master, right? Mm-hmm. You are the master of the situation because you're in control of what's happening in your body. Yeah. 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 I mean, why, regardless of what situation you're, you are in, why would you not want to be able to have yeah. more control over your body's physiological response to external? Yeah. Yeah. You want some fun fact about me? I have a really high um, heart rate variability, which I don't know if you, I mean, I'm assuming you know about this. I was reading about it and pretty sure it's HRV, but yeah. Okay. And apparently it's a great thing because it means the, like, maybe this is what you're talking about with like the window of tolerance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Where between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, like my body supposedly, according to this whoop strap and it's metrics that it's keeping on me is that. Basically, I can go from being in a heightened stress state, which might just be like working out or like doing something challenging to then being regulated again, being calm. Yeah. And so that's what that window of tolerance is, is like this kind of like relationship between your body's ability to go from to like regulate itself, essentially to go back to a medium point. It's essentially how much you can tolerate, like how much stress you can tolerate. And so the more the wider your window of tolerance is the more that you're able to hold without collapsing into burnout or shutting down right so when we think about like the fight flight or freeze um it's the the more stress you can hold without like freezing and like complete like playing possum playing dead basically Mm -hmm. where you know um an extreme example of this is a lot of rape victims will, you know, you think that you're in the experience and you'll fight the person off, but a lot of rape victims actually completely freeze up and disassociate Mm. during the experience. Um, and so that's a part, that's your body literally like leaving your consciousness, like leaving the experience until it's over to keep you safe from the trauma. And so when your window of tolerance is like how much you can actually tolerate before you, before you shut down, before your system shuts down as Mm. a mechanism of survival. And so the work with the window of tolerance is like, let me be able to hold more stress in my system without shutting down and not moving into that unhealthy level of stress where I'm going to burn out, shut down or retreat. Mm, right. And that's why then it's actually good for you to do things that are challenging, right? Whether that's like, you know, for some people, like doing a really hard workout is so good because you're training yourself to be able to handle stress, right? And so it's like, that's why the the like fluffy softening the edges of life version of safety is actually really hurting you because you're like lessening your capacity to handle ups and downs of life because you've you're like literally never challenging yourself in a way that you come out on the other end having handled it well Mm -hmm. every challenge you're like oh my god everyone sucks I like you don't get me like you disagreeing with me means that you hate me and like you're like literally constantly in like stress mode but you never you never utilize the stress for growth you're just being in stress and like that's it. Yeah. It just takes control. Yeah. And the idea that the world is going to mold itself around you to make you comfortable is, I mean, it's just naive to think that you can go through life and just have every need met and every uh, belief agreed with. And yeah. so, you know, 
I think that it's it's very interesting the world that we live in today and how coddled so many yeah. um younger individuals are because there's going to be a point where things are not going to go their way. You know, I I am very grateful that I had such a shitty um high school and yeah. like teenage experience because I have friends that literally had like nothing ever happened to them and mm. then once they got into their 20s shit started happening and they didn't know how to handle it. Mm. And I had already experienced so much trauma that it's like I know like how to get through this. I know right. how to handle this. I know that I'm going to be able to come out on the other side and I think that also is probably part of the reason why I've been able to dive headfirst into entrepreneurship because mm. I just know that like I can fucking do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and then it's like, if you haven't experienced, you know, capital T drama, like all those kinds of things, which are incredible to shape who you are. Right. But the good thing is then if you are coming from a place of, let's just say like abundance, prosperity, like you grew up in like that situation, you can actually still then, if you have the awareness of what your situation is, you can, I think, pick other things to challenge yourself and to develop like the ability to handle life's ups and downs, right? Like it's it's funny because it's such a classic caricature of like the like rich kid who like never had to lift a finger, like had their life really easy. And then later on, they encounter hardship and they like totally don't know how don't don't know what to do and it's like they're in f- f- fight or flight or what was the third one Fr- uh, freeze. freeze yeah um and they're just completely unequipped to deal with it mm-hmm. but it's like i i was i saw something yesterday actually or the day before that um do you know uh, i'm gonna butcher her name sarit Ch- shoot she's a uh, She's like, she's a psychologist on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Her posts always have like a little lion Mm -hmm. in the corner. Anyway, I'm butchering her thing. I've shared her work before on on a solo episode. Anyway, she was sharing this thing that was like, people will say, oh, like you, you're, you're not wise beyond your years. You just experienced trauma as a child, Mm -hmm. which can be a thing. But also I think you can simultaneously trauma or not have been a very like aware child who was able to just like perceive situations in a different way, who was able to like understand their place, like had a good childhood, but could notice, Oh, this person is like having a hard time at home. That's why they're like this at school or like, you know, maybe you were able to travel places and you're like, Oh wow, these people live a different life than I did. And that's showing me that like, I have this privilege or I've like been so lucky, but you can still turn out very like, wise and have like these life lessons that seem beyond your years but it's really just cultivating consciously to perceive life like just having a handle on your relationship to reality i think is really just consciousness yeah totally i mean i was having the conversation of like nature versus nurture over this weekend um because my dad and i you know he um wasn't super super in my life throughout my childhood and my teenage years he lived in the united arab emirates for eight or nine years altogether and so i only saw him really like once maybe twice a year throughout my entire childhood and teenage years um and you know like i was saying to you earlier before we hopped on here we got in an argument um over the week that we were together and um my stepmom was like yeah i was like listening to peter argue with himself and so it's interesting because it's like 
I couldn't have learned that really from him that much because I only spent like at mm. most two weeks, three weeks with him out of out of the year. Um, and the rest of the time I spent with my mom. So how much is, you know, just our nature versus actually being nurtured? And I think that when it comes to, you know, someone growing up privileged and I'll say I'm still privileged, even though I had those experiences, I'm still privileged mm. um, based on the color of my skin, based on the place where I grew up. Um, I'm still privileged compared mm-hmm. to a lot of other people. Um, but people that were more privileged than me growing up, um, you know, I have one of my, one of my best friends, her family is very well off, very wealthy, but her parents always instilled in her um, kindness and compassion and empathy and and the awareness to 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 be mm. like aware of of her privilege and and her mm. surroundings and you know had other friends that didn't have that and right. when I look at even where they're at now my girlfriend that had that upbringing from her parents you know where she's at in her career where she's at in her life her friendships what she's created how she holds herself is entirely different than my friends that were you know spoon-fed mm. um you know fancy cars and ev- anything that they wanted right. from 15 years on who you know haven't been able to get their life together are still relying on mom and dad and so it's interesting to bring in the conversation of like there's probably parts of certain people that are privileged that it's just like who they are. Mm. And then there's also a lot of it that has to do with who their parents were and their environment and and that being able to shape them into a human being that is capable Mm. of holding empathy and pushing themselves to be more observant of life and to um, go after things and be able to hold fear or hold um, whatever it might be in in their systems without having experienced, you know, trauma with a capital T. <laughs> yeah, just just baby trauma that comes from being a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny because it's like trauma has become like a trendy word of like why we how to explain everything, which in the end it's like it's kind of accurate. It's like, yeah, that's life. You're just going through ups and downs. You're gonna have a hardship and then you're gonna learn from it. Or it's going to like derail you if you you know, overly identify with it forever. If you like blame it for everything, right? Like if you put too much emphasis on, oh, this is just how I am because of this thing that happened to me. There's nothing I can do about that. Mm -hmm. And then instead of the flip side of like owning, like, yeah, this is my, this is my story. This is my life, but I can like now nurture myself into something different. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like similar to the, person who might overly identify with like oh well I'm just a I'm just a Virgo and that's that's just how I am (laughs) yeah people who use astrology as like an excuse for their shitty behavior yeah yeah, exactly I'm I just had that trauma that's just who I am yeah I don't I think that again it's like what I was saying earlier I don't like to lean in too hard to any one specific school of thought and I think that that's it's the same with like our experiences as well too one of my um coaches said you know like use your story to inspire people but don't go down with it Mm. and I always think about that when like even things that happened six months ago it's like let it be there share it with other people so that you can help create a space for people to see themselves in you and Mm. to be expanded by your own experience. But you don't have to go down with any story. You don't have to go down with your past. Yeah. It doesn't have to like become the whole of you. No. It's like, I mean, that's how you keep living it. 
Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like detachment to what happens in your life, even like with emotions and feelings. It's like you felt that thing. You're not, you, you're not the thing. Like, it's not like you are anxiety. Like you felt anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just passing. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. Um, so you have a couple, you have Academy of Breath, this opening up again for enrollment Mm -hmm. and tell me about any other, um, any other coaching programs you have going on? Anything else? I want to know everything you have happening right now. Yeah. So the Academy of Breath is currently open for enrollment. We start April 13th, which is super exciting. And for anyone who does not know me, it's a 12 week certification program. So you'll learn eight different breathwork techniques, three different styles of meditation. We also bring in like the business of wellness Mm. as well too, which was another piece that I thought was massively lacking from every teacher training that I've ever done. Um, And I've done a lot. Uh, No one tells you what to do with the tools after you (laughs) learn how to teach. It's like, okay, go off into the world and try and make a business, even though you know nothing about business. And so that's another piece of the Academy of Breath that we added in is like, let's teach you how to like create an offer. Let's teach you how to create a program. Let me Mm. show you how you can price. Let's talk, uh, talk about how you can talk to people and how to like build a presence online so that you can really position yourself as an authority. And so I, um, really love the Academy of Breath because I just think that it hits every single angle. Um, So that starts on April 13th and we're currently open for enrollment. Um, Outside of that, I am always taking on -on one-on-one clients. If anyone is interested in working with me to support themselves in building their business and being able to do so through this really embodied, conscious, intentional approach, I really like to blend the soul of why we're doing what we're doing with the Mm. strategy um again having grown up i always like to say in the corporate digital marketing space i definitely was someone who went like balls to the wall with like just focusing on the strategy and it really wasn't until i like started balancing both the embodied leadership approach as well as the strategy that my business just completely expanded and exploded in ways that still feel unfathomable to me. Um, so I'm always taking on one-on-one clients for that. And then outside of that, we also offer a personal practice course called Breathwork. It's a six module course in case anyone's like, I want to experience Breathwork, but I don't necessarily want to become a teacher yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Breathwork by the Academy of Breath is a great place to start. It's a really accessible program that teaches you everything on how to use breath and meditation for stress, for sleep, for creativity, for energy, for intuition, Mm. um, for confidence. And so we go through six different modules and really equip you with tons of different techniques and practices to support you in creating a daily practice. Wow. That's amazing. How many times a year are you doing AOB, like the big one? Uh, Three times a year. So this is our second time we do another one probably tentatively around like August or so. And then we have our advanced practitioner training that we only offer for individuals that have gone through the Academy of Breath. And we do that once a year and that's a six month program with a retreat and that's going to be in January. So yeah, if anyone wants to do both of those, you definitely want to get into either our April round or August round and then join us for our advanced practitioner training. What do you, what's like the level up of when you become advanced? So we dive a lot deeper into a lot of the um, science and trauma side of holding space. Um, So we talk a lot about how trauma, like what is actually happening to the brain on trauma and what, what happens, like what, 
your what growth is stunted because of trauma and how you can use the breath and meditation and mindfulness practices and nervous system regulation to help you really move past that and heal your brain. Uh, we bring in different techniques as well too. So again, going back to that window of tolerance, we start to teach you how to work with people to um, expand their window of tolerance. We go into um, yoga nidra and subconscious rewiring and it's a smaller program. Like there's, there's less people inside. And so you get a lot of like hands-on one-on-one support in developing your voice as a teacher and being able to just, you know, be the best of the best in the breathwork and meditation space. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And with a retreat. And the retreat. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. My God. I, I want to do AOB. I think right now I'm overcommitted in my life, but I feel like there's, I could be such a cool, um, intersection with using breath either before or even like subtly, like during those situations when you like are public speaking or in a social environment, like there's so many applications. Yeah. I mean, when I started bringing the breath into my business, it was like, insane. I had only really been using it to like, okay, let me like sit down and meditate and Mm. help regulate my stress and like clear out from the day before. And then I was like, wait a second, I can use my breath to manifest. I can use Mm. my breath to expand like my energy and my aura before I go on stage. So I feel really confident and take up a lot of space and like people like are really magnetized towards what I'm saying. Um, or I can use it before I have a podcast interview and I'm feeling a little nervous mm-hmm. and I just want to like drop into my body. Um, or I can use it after I do a client session and like yeah. help clear out any energy that I might have taken on from that person. Um, it is revolutionary for business owners. Like I feel like it's, yeah. I mean, I think that it's the missing link in a lot of areas of our life. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's my own just like, experimentation through it through experiencing it with coaches or like communities has been that I mean anything that you can use on a daily basis that is then going to improve the activities you're doing your approach to the to-do list like it spirals out to your whole life so it's like with business it's like if you if the success of your business is dependent on your ability to be able to put yourself out there or to handle like any hiccup that comes along. Like, of course your capacity for handling every single, every single one of those things is aided by the breath Mm -hmm. and your nervous system and all those things. It's like an incredible link that we don't have. I mean, fucking they did not talk about breath work at all in business school. No, (laughs) They should. Anyone that is uh, putting together curriculum for, what are they? MBA programs? Yeah. 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 Oh my God. That would be so cool. That'd be so cool. Have you thought about that? Like trying to go teach it to like a university? Uh, yeah, I would like to. I'd like to. I'd, I want, my mission is to get breathwork and meditation into every single household on this planet. That's so that's why I also created the Academy of Breath because I'm like, I can't fucking do this alone. True. I'm going to need some other teachers helping me out. So do you have other teachers right now? Um, well, I mean, I teach, 
the people that I certify. Right. Okay. Right, right. Oh, but you yes. mean, oh, yeah, like yeah. through certifying all those people, yeah, yeah. they then you're building an army. I'm of, building an army of breath work yes. instructors. Yes. yes okay. Yes, yes. But yes, I do have a co-facilitator, Lexi Rodriguez, who supports me in, um, doing our office hours. We do, um, small group mentorships as well. So each person that signs up gets put into a small group where they get to practice teaching. Then we wow. have biweekly office hours. Um, we have like quarterly alumni calls where you can continue like coming back to the community we've got our facebook group i mean i don't mean to toot my own horn but like, do it <laughs> <laughs> there's just nothing like the academy of breath around and it's a really really special like familial mm. environment and community where we've just seen so many incredible relationships come into form i mean even my entire community in austin out here like jenny and danielle and um casey and mm. so many people that i've met in or that I've met through the Academy of Breath are now like friends that I get to connect with in person yeah. and in real life. And there's people from like all over the world that are inside of this program. And so it's just really cool to see how not only are they able to bring breathwork and meditation into their life to enhance their lives and to, you know, come out on the other side of the program completely changed and who mm. they are. But they're also sharing these practices with their community, with their clients, yeah. with their friends, with their family members. Um, and, you know, it's like we are the ripple effect. Yeah. It's like me teaching you breath work or uh, me teaching someone else breath work is not just going to impact that one person. It's going to impact every other person that you come into contact with. Yeah. And I think that it's just a really magical space to be in because so many people still don't know about breath work still don't know yeah. even about meditation or haven't tried mm -hmm. meditation and so it's it's a really beautiful time to like dive into the breath work space because there's it's it's only going to grow totally have you i'm really curious have you ever met someone who does breath work meditation regularly and isn't like basically I'm, I'm still curious. sucks. Yes. Are they? Have you, thank you for that. Yes. Literally. That's, that's what I'm getting at. Have you ever met someone who like defied the odds? Because I, I, my suspicion is that like for me personally, most of the people, if not all of them that I've interacted with either online or in real life that are on some kind of self-aware journey where they're doing something that falls under the umbrella of spiritual everyone has everyone is spiritual but some people are practicing it right mm -hmm. so and i've felt like those people are always a leg up in terms of like communication like open-mindedness all of that but have you ever is, is it you know from your you know experience I, th <laughs> I think that there i have definitely run into people you know also like being in LA, um, mm. even like Austin a little bit now that I'm seeing, True. um, there's like the spiritual superiority spiritual and it's ego. like, are you really practicing these tools or like, do you feel that you practicing these things is makes you better than everybody else mm. or like puts you above other people? You know, I have friends that meditate and do breath work every single day that, can't for the life of you communicate better because they're just out in the ethers and they're not really grounded True. in their humanity. And so, mm. you know, I think that in a way, like, yes, they kind of still have a leg up because they can 
have those, they have an understanding of like more esoteric concepts, but uh, you know, I see far too often people just like, I, I always say like they're way too up in their crown yeah. that they're no longer like grounded and rooted yeah. in, in here in this reality. And um, yeah, you have to bring it home. You have to bring it like into real life. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to like play around in the ethers. It's yeah. cool to like connect to God and stuff. Channel. But yeah, <laughs> it's cool to yeah. have your chakras aligned. Um, and for me, I just like, I'm a bridge. Like I know that I'm a bridge. That's why I like blending science and spirituality. Um, because I, I just know that like majority of our earth, like people are very like in the 3d most mm. people are in the 3d and so if we want more people to understand and grasp these concepts of oneness and love mm. and a lot of these like spiritual concepts we can't be hanging up hanging out yeah. up here we gotta like bring it down and and be more accessible yeah. otherwise it's going to feel like something outside of them it's not going to be resonant it's not going to relate right yeah and i think that's when when people are utilizing these practices that have become very available but they're actually using it still as an external thing so to speak to achieve something i think that's where it gets a little lost when it's driven by like the ego the spiritual ego when you're like this will make me better than these people then it's like missing the point a little bit like you are of course getting like benefits because that's just what happens when you do these things but on a deeper level it's like in practice it misses the point because it's like in the end it's like everyone do whatever fuck you want i'm not gonna fucking preach and tell you what to do but it's like i think well what i would like to see if this was a friend i'd be like but our is life changing around you because of your internal state changing? Mm. If it's not, then I think you have to reassess what you're actually doing. Mm -hmm. What is actually coming out of you meditating and you journaling and you doing breath work and you reading books on spirituality. Like if people around you, because in the end, I mean, for me, the life of being in services, I want other people to be happy too. I want other people to like, benefit from the fact that I'm joyful, right? Like if those things aren't happening, then it's like, why are you really doing it? Yeah. If it's just about you and, and if that's your path and that's you fucking send it like whatever, <laughs> send it. But you know, it's like, I think it's valuable to think about, but how are you impacting people? Like yeah. are things improving around you or, or are you at least making the attempt to improve things around you? Right. Yeah. It's got to leave your living room. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. I remember last year, um, getting a little fiery because I was getting all these messages from people like, it's so inspiring. Like you are so inspiring. And it's like, cool. Thank you. Like, I'm glad that I'm inspiring, but don't just let it stop at like, mm. you are inspiring. Like let what, what I'm inspiring you to feel move you to act as well too. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just be this inspiring, like caricature on Instagram that you see. Like I want whatever I'm saying, whatever I'm sharing, whatever I'm embodying to awaken something inside of you that inspires and motivates you to actually like get off your ass and start doing something differently in your yeah. life. 
And, you know, I think I, I hold a lot of compassion because I think that we can have a lot of fear come up and that can be something that stops us from, um, going after what we desire, you know, taking whatever is in our journal and bringing it to life. There can be fear, there can be self-doubt, there can be all of these stories and identities and blocks that mm-hmm. are perceived in front of us that, and, and actual physical blocks in front of us, um, that make it more challenging. But for me, like, like what I always say is like, when it comes to the things that you want to create in your life, when it comes to the change that you want to be, when it comes to how you want to show up and be in service, if you show up, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen. And I think most people will stop or sell themselves short if it doesn't happen right away in the speed that they wanted in the timeline or in the way that they desired it to unfold And what I have learned from my own journey, because I will be honest, like a lot of the things that I've said I want to do, I've been able to do Mm -hmm. and I've had to have patience with it. But I've I'm I've been pretty successful in Mm -hmm. everything like that I've that I've set out to do because I don't give up if I fall. Um, You know, when we were talking about failure earlier, something that I used to tell myself a lot is like falling is not the same as failing. Mm. If you fall down, you can always get back up. And I think that when it comes to embodying what we're learning through books and podcasts and what we're journaling about and what we feel in our meditation, if we start to take on the ideology of it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's a matter of when, I think that that creates more space for us to just like actually get up and try Mm. and be more willing to fall down because we know that at some point, whether it's on our timeline a little bit faster than we may have expected or it takes a little bit longer, it's still going to happen. It's inevitable Mm. because we're showing up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Eva, this was amazing. Mm. I feel like we took it to all the places that I wanted. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ava. This was a really, really enjoyable conversation. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. Me too. And um, I think the listeners are listeners are really, really going to like it. Um, make sure you plug all of your where people can find you, where they can reach out. I'll link everything, but give your little. Yeah. Um, Instagram is at Ava Johanna, J-O-H-A-N-N-A. Well, and Ava is A-V-A. Um, so A-V-A-J-O-H-A-N-N-A <laughs> or if you um, want to follow the Academy of Breath our Instagram is at Breathwork Certification that's like very specific breath and meditation content we feature a lot of our past students um, that are doing epic shit we do a lot of trainings and tutorials and just give a lot of resources on Breathwork to again just make it more accessible um, but my personal Instagram is at Ava Johanna and then our website is academyofbreath.org if you're interested in joining the Academy of Breath, you can go to that URL to sign up. If you're interested in signing up for Breathwork, you can just go to either of our Instagram pages, click the link in our bio, and there will be a link for the personal practice course. And then, yeah, if anyone is interested in chatting, chatting more about Breathwork, if any questions came up, uh, you can always send me a DM. I like to, I like to nerd out on the breath, so <laughs> I'm here. I'm available. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to all the listeners. Hit Ava up. She's literally the best. And yeah. Bye, everyone.